We are Unseen Artists, and we are giving the stage to underrepresented voices. I'm Courtney. I'm Noelle. And this week, we are talking with a phenomenal playwright who is also our friend, Aaron Harris-Woodstein. Um, you may remember them because a year ago, we worked on their play. We did a table read with them for Turn That Think Around. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I am a... And also, it's a year today, so that's pretty fun. Today, um, yeah. yeah. This is the so, anniversary. That's so exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so happy to have met you guys. I am all about myself. I am a non-binary neurodivergent playwright. I live in Chicago, Illinois, full-time with my husband, Aiden. And we're working on next projects together and... I have a full-time job now at Northlight Theater. I'm the AV supervisor. Yes. So it's cool yeah. to have that stability and to be working not insane hours to make a living. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, you just finished uh, school, right? I did. Yeah. I just finished getting my master's at uh, CCM, or otherwise known as the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of, of Music. It's, a, it's, a, it's wordy. So we just say CCM. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. That's fine. Okay. I'm I'm all on the acronyms, college acronyms. Mm -hmm. Everything is an acronym. So it has been a year since we've seen you. So yeah. what's been going on? Like, have you been working on Turn That Thing Around? Have you yeah. worked in another place? Uh I've worked on Turn That Thing Around a little bit. I was very busy with my thesis uh, as soon as we finished. I was going into my thesis production, which was, I'm not even going to name the title of the play, but <laughs> it was a very weird, like a very weird surrealist play um, okay. by a person that is not worthy to be notable. <laughs> kind of one okay. of those. Interesting. Uh, kind of racist, sexist. Oh, great. Person. We totally need more of those. Right. More, more, more of those playwrights need to get work done, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They're so underrepresented. Damn it. Yeah. But <laughs> anyways, I, I so I graduated with flying colors and now I, yeah. I I moved to Massachusetts for a stint. So I was there as a right. assistant uh audio supervisor at Barrington Stage Company. Um nice. and then now I'm full time at Northlight back in in just north of Chicago. Um, I'm in Uptown now, so right, oh, by, nice. right by the gay culture scene here, <laughs> uh, which is great. We're trying to plan a trip out to Chicago, so. Oh, yeah. We'll Northland. have to come see you. My mom lives in yeah. uh, northern Illinois, closer to the Wisconsin border, but um, we'd have to come right through Chicago to come over there. So I want to come and take my dogs and drag Courtney. She's never been to Chicago, so. I've never been. Sweet. Um, yeah, so we'll yeah. have to do something. Oh, that would be fun. Oh, I have so fun! I love one, it. But two couches, so oh, we each have our own couch. I'm fine sleeping on couches. <laughs> sure, that's so yeah. exciting, though. Since we've met, I had one additional reading of Turn That Thing Around at Illinois Wesleyan University, my alma mater. Mm. They did it during homecoming weekend, and it was very exciting. That we had uh, students read for me. Uh, it was mostly a cold read we had like an hour of rehearsal just to do the full-blown section which for those not familiar with turn that thing around it is when the whole play happens all at once in order 
all at the same time. Yeah, yes, we did need to spend a, a, a little chunk of time working on that uh, for ours as well. Yeah. But it came together pretty well for us. So I hope it yeah, did it's... so for you guys as well. Yeah, it was fun. And I think the, the students are really happy to be attacking a, a work that is not like the canon, yeah. I would say, mm -hmm. um, because it happens out of order. It happens in right. bursts of things I call tangents. So like, if someone was telling you a story, but they were manic, um, this is how the story would come across. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know that's what drew us to it. We, lo we loved that about it. So yeah, it's just so well done. Yeah. yeah. Can haven't... you talk about that a little bit? Because I know it's based on your like true experience. Yeah. So um, in 2012, I had a manic episode, which is a major symptom of bipolar one disorder and of, of the other bipolar categories. Manic episode is when, I'm, not, I'm no doctor, but a manic episode is essentially when your brain is going so fast that you start making risky choices, you start blabbering on or talking in tangents, and, and some people, like, you know, lose a lot of money because they're, they're feeling really good and elated, and they, they go out and buy things or make risky investments, and some people risky sexual decisions all those things are kind of encompassed in mania briefly summarizing it but um it's also characterized by uh, a depressive bout as well so that's why they called it bipolar disorder they used to call it manic depressive disorder or something like that um yeah but bipolar essentially it's like a roller coaster is the way i explain it in the play uh, when the when the narrator comes forward as me and talks to the audience and this time I went too high so the drop was more than I can manage. It was it was a tough time and I think it took me maybe like six years to fully fully feel like you know I'm here but like I, I started counting healthy days in after after I was discharged for for um, SI in, in, in undergrad um, or suicidal ideation and uh, when I did the reading at, for you all, I think it was 3,000 or something healthy days or something like that. Yeah. Close to that. It was a little over 3,000. But when mm -hmm. I did it at homecoming, I realized that it was on the 3,500th uh, healthy day. So it said, uh. so, so the narrator was able to say, it has been 3,500 days since that last discharge. And I'm the most, wow. I'm the happiest I've ever been. So. It's it's a story of hope and recovery, and there is a little twist at the end that I that was not in your reading that um where um the the narrator as they're coming forward they dedicate the play to their friend Gabe who's been on this car ride and this crazy adventure with okay. them the whole way, but they they say this this play is dedicated to and instead of saying all the Gabes of the world. They say this play is dedicated to and Gabe actually enters and they have a scene together. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. I like so, that. I don't know if you have your little excerpt sheet thing, but we could even we can even read that out for everybody and spoil the whole play. Let's <laughs> do it. I love spoilers. Yeah. We like so, to I love being involved in spoilers. So this is <laughs> we like to spoil things. five of the excerpt sheet. Okay. Um, so I'll start reading the narrator. Uh, so this story is one of survival. Mental illness when paired with the right treatments can be highly manageable. 
Today has been 3,500 days since that last discharge. I'm the most genuinely happy I've ever been. Knowing I am loved and not alone will keep me going for many days to come. This play is dedicated to Gabe Enters. Hey, Gabe, can we talk? Yeah, sure. What's up? I just wanted to say that I'm sorry. Okay. I didn't know what was going on at the time. The whole trip was a lot. And now that I'm back here at camp, I feel like things have been weird between us. I'm, I'm sorry. It's not your fault. I know, but you took the brunt of it all. And it was so crazy. I remember we got to camp and I said something and you got so upset. More upset than I've ever seen you. And I, I just feel bad. I wish I could, things could be the way that, that they were. Hey, it's going to be okay, you know. I just, I need some time, dude. I'm glad you're okay now. Yeah, me too. I should probably head back to my campers. Yeah, I'll probably head back to my dad's cabin and get some rest. Okay, good night. Hey, hey Gabe. Yeah? Can I give you a hug? Yeah, of course. They hug. Hey, Gabe. Yeah? Thank you. That's how the play is. Oh, That's so hello, sweet. Hello. I love that. I love it. So oh. Kind of just like, I don't know. Like, they, they go on this huge adventure together. Like, there's, I'm not going to spoil the whole play, but something happens in, in the character Jack's life that makes them start spiraling out of control and kind of triggers this whole manic episode right. and when that comes up for them and then it just i don't know rocks their whole life yeah. um and then later when they're in the car with gabe they they start talking to their dad and they tell their dad you know dad what what if the camp campers found out i was bisexual then they would want a different counselor to take care of their kids and i couldn't handle that happening I just want to see Gabe to get. To, I just want to see Gabe get to camp. Is basically the end of that tangent of a voicemail, and Gabe is hurt because Gabe is also bisexual. They they come out to each other on page four of the of the script, <laughs> right. um, and you know Gabe could have been there for for the Jack character or for me, but um, I was just so worried about this other thing that I never thought to think, to lean on Gabe like that. It's hard because there's, yeah, you, uh, you have friends and things that you want to do, like, and, and things that you want to talk about and, and lean on each other. And then there's, or, there are certain things where you're like, is it too much or how far is too far? And yeah, it's, and especially when you're in some sort of like spiral of, of your feelings, yeah. you just don't know how they're going to take it or, or, uh you start seeing yourself in a very different perspective than, you know, they do and get worried about all of that kind of stuff. I think that it's so, even for people who, you know, maybe don't have mental illness or, or whatever, I think it still shows a very important relationships and how relationships work and, and like your friends are your friends because they're going to be there for you. And especially ones who have like been through the same kind of background experiences, you know, like, other gay people can can help you with that same you know of being gay versus like you know other women or other men or other non-binary people you know it's all the same kind of like people who come from different experiences and nobody's gonna have your exact same experiences but that's why you can have different people to talk to about different things and not that like like I can talk about 
gay stuff to Courtney and she's not gay, but you know, we can still, she can still be there for me as my friend, you know, it's, uh, it's, I think it's such a good story of friendship, uh, on top of all of the incredible, like representation that we have of, of mental illness and of bisexuality. I talk about that all the time. Like where, where do you ever see bisexuals? Nowhere. Nowhere. <laughs> me but, right here. Me in the closet, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know it's like, you're either there's so much in, uh, in, in media or in entertainment in general. It's always like, like, I, well, I was just listening to the other episodes recently. So I was listening to something talking about um scooby-doo and with velma how she was like she was straight and now they're like oh well she's gay and she's always been gay and there's no like no one can ever like think of the possibility of like oh why not both mm -hmm. always <laughs> both as i like to say por que no los dos yeah exactly exactly the, the answer is always both mm -hmm. that's what i like to say <laughs> yeah. Um, would you want to so, read a little more from the show or do you want to, what do you want to do? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So, um, we have, uh, how about we do page two, just the short new stuff. Yeah, let's do it. I so this, this, this one's a, one of the tangents. It's a new tangent that I wrote and it took me a long time of emotional processing you put this in there um but it's a flashback so it's called love as explained by a child jack what's wrong i love you but i don't like you what do you mean you're my mom so i'll always love you but i don't like being with you and then the narrator says jack's mother is stunned and it goes quickly to the next scene and the whole play keeps rocketing forward <laughs> with this little bit of like core memory attached that's so powerful because i think people think of like this always never ending like you can't ever be mad at your family and you know they're always there for you and especially like your parents and stuff like that but it's such an interesting like i'll always love you but i don't like being with you yeah yeah and yeah, my I mom agree. was like in, in this story, I really have to say, my mom and my dad are very different people now. <laughs> like, coming yeah, out of oh, this absolutely. experience, coming, like, aging, you know, 10 years, you know, like, we're, we're very different people, and we have much happier relationships with each other. But, um, so just a moment in my childhood that, like, you know, we went to therapy for, and we, mm -hmm. like, it sparked a change in my childhood. Well, and I think so, that there's a lot of formative kind of stuff like that, that we, you know, parents, especially with children, right, don't always know the impact that they're, the things that they say, or the things that they do um, on their children, who's like, their children are sort of like just part of the life that they live, and they come in so much like later, and they have all this other stuff that they've experienced and processed, and children are such like, sponges of all of this stuff because their whole universe is just the right now and so um little one-off comments or little things that that parents do that can be a major life event for children so Aaron so what initially prompted you to start writing this you know the manic episode did it in a way 
there's actually uh, a, a little document that is for sale on my website, ahw.design.com for like $3 or something. It's called The Artifact. And The Artifact oh. is what I created during the Manic episode. And it was four pages of absolute garbage nonsense. <laughs> it was just like all over the place, like sentences would run into different sentences. And I had to, and when I, when I wrote it at the time, I thought, oh gosh, I'm, I'm a savant. I'm going to be the next Shakespeare. I'm going to, you know, like it's going to, it's going to live forever. And like Lady Gaga is going to come in and buy my play or something crazy. Like I, I don't, something wild like that. But when I, when I gave, I gave it to my therapist and they're like, why don't you give it to me? And then I'll let you know if you should read it or not. My therapist said, Aaron, don't read it. It's it's not worth it. And I read it and I, I was really affected by it because it was literally looking at my shattered brain on paper. It was horrible. And I, I just didn't, I, I didn't know what to make of it because I thought like, oh, well, you know, like it wasn't cheap. <laughs> the, the whole adventure I went on, like I, I was hospitalized in, in New Hampshire for two weeks. I was blown to new to to chicago to be at a at one of the top hospitals because you know like my my dad's friend pulled some strings and all that was very very expensive and i was thinking about like oh well maybe i could pay my dad back with this play and but it, it wasn't a play yet and I, I i drafted it into like only the parts from the artifact into something a little more coherent showed it to my professor and it still you know, wasn't a play. And then the next iteration, I, I said, you know what, screw you, professor. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna go forth and I'm gonna make sure that this is seen by the world. Because for me, it's 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 a warning story as well as a story of hope. Because I feel like my journey should have stopped when the warning signs first started. I should have gone to a doctor. I should have maybe gone to the ER, you know? But I got in a car and I drove to Cleveland. It took me all day, but I, I certainly got all the way to Cleveland. And then I got in a car and then Gabe drove the rest of the way. It was, it's actually his real name, but he let me use his name, which is cute. Um, That's cute. But we drove the rest of the way. He drove the rest of the way. Like it was a thousand five hundred, a thousand fifty something miles yeah. um, from from where I started to where I ended. And oh, it would have been so much easier if I just went to the ER right away. Um, but you know, no one talks about this kind of stuff, and yeah. that's why I wanted to get this out there because maybe this could save someone's life. You know? Yeah. Because I was really lucky; I was trapped in a car with my with a dead phone. Because nowadays, you could like invest all your life savings in two seconds. Yeah. Mm -hmm in like one of those and you, you can join a pyramid scheme you know like yeah, yeah um, right. it's it's just like and like my, my depressive episode would have been maybe a quarter of a like eighth of a length if i hadn't spent so much time up at this high that i was in yeah. like in the top of the roller coaster <laughs> you know climbing yeah. up and up and up and up and up and it certainly would have taken me two weeks in the hospital to, or four weeks in the hospital to feel at least normal again as normal as you could feel after yeah. going on a journey like this 
How was it writing it? Were there any like, you know, therapeutic techniques you had to take? Because it, I imagine it was very difficult. It was very difficult. And I brought it to therapy a lot. <laughs> and my therapist didn't co-write it with me, of course, but like, she sure. would like listen as I talked about what I wanted to do. My first therapist told me to stop writing the play. And I, uh, I decided to, you know, drop that therapist and go to the next one. And throughout, like, I think maybe five or six therapists as I moved around the country for school and for work, I was able to find a safe space to work through this and work through some of the trauma that happens in the play. You know, there's, like, some events that, like, happen on two or three pages of the show that could traumatize someone for life. Right. Like, when I get to the hospital in New Hampshire, certainly isn't handled well. (laughs) Um. I don't want to ruin that moment because I think it's just stark when you hear the play. Right. But yeah, it's just uh yeah, but we can we can talk about the aftermath of that moment if we want. There's some new stuff. Yeah. That's still on page 2. Yeah, it's uh I love this like new stuff cuz every time you write cuz you know even with what you had first sent you know, went through some other iterations and we worked on some stuff together um, with it. And so it's like always developing and evolving. This has just been such a fun process for me to look at. I do want to add the disclaimer that I think that the play is done. I think it's finally done. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting because I've worked on it since, you know, 2013. (laughs) Yeah, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been a ten-year writing, a ten and a half-year writing journey, and I just feel like if someone wants to make an edit, like there is a disclaimer in the in the first page, the first couple of pages, that like the names of the characters could be changed to be like if you have a female identified actor playing Jack, they can be Jackie. If right. You have mm-hmm. a, if you have a non-binary actor playing Gabe, they can be Gabs, or they can be Gabe, or they could be Gabby, or whatever you want to whatever you want to call these characters by i think like it should align with kind of the universality is that a word universality it is now sure. it is sure. yeah, the sure. universal yeah. nature of the play that yeah like some Absolutely. of the this could happen to anyone and that's kind of why it's scary at some points and it's something we've always we've talked about a lot that i know noelle's had a really big focus on is being able to just cast whoever fits the part regardless of you know gender and so that was one of the things that you know is really great about your play it makes it very easy to do that for anyone who is doing the casting so that's a it's a great touch that you've added in the beginning well it finally shows like somebody really thinking about that because you know i if anyone has been listening to this for a while or if courtney is ever just shuts me off at some point because i talk about this all the time but like it doesn't matter so in so many instances gender doesn't matter it doesn't, it is not relevant to what's happening. And like, that is sometimes, you know, sometimes it is, but so often it's not. And so why do we spend so much time being like, I need to find, you know, a man for this. I need to find a woman for this. I need to find a whatever when it's just like, it's not relevant, which is the same thing of like, for the majority of things of like, I have to cast a white person in this part, why? what about it is like specific to white people nothing other than that's what we've always done because 
Right. We've been dealing with, you know, societalized racism forever, infused in everything that we do. So, yeah, just I, I love that it leaves everything so open to that. And it's one of the few things that I've seen that does that in in such a in such a specific way like yeah this is not none of that is relevant to this because it's about something else mm-hmm. and so yeah i love it yeah. i love I mean, it there, there certainly are plays about being white we know that but yeah sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no and plenty yeah. of things where like where it is specific and it does matter but there's so many times when like it's not in there and it doesn't matter, but people put such an emphasis on it because we've always done it like this. We've always cast mm-hmm. it like this. We've always whatever, like. Yeah, and I think the, the production but, that influenced that for me was I, I in Chicago, I, I saw, at, uh, I think it was Steppenwolf, did a production of The Glass Menagerie with an all black cast. Oh, um, yeah. I saw that. We watched that. You watched that, wow. Stay tuned, we like might have an episode coming it. out soon. <laughs> yes oh yeah well, that hasn't been released yet i saw the production live and it changed my uh, life because i thought wow theater could do this theater could yeah. theater is about more than just these specific people it's about how the experience of these characters translates to your life too as an audience yeah there is that you know like that middle ground between the audience this is vi- like personal experiences and what's on stage yeah that's what I loved about when they just did um death of a salesman on Broadway with the 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 family as a a black family and it really just everything else being the same just sitting there and watching it and listening to the lines and it had so much so many lines had so much more of an impact with a black family than with a white family and it really made a difference and because the that background is just so different, but it doesn't change anything about how you're telling the story, you know? Yeah. And there's yeah. modern interpretations of even bisexuality, like, you know, like Robin Oaks, one of my, I can give you the spelling of the name, I think it's O-C-H-S, uh, Robin Oaks, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. she um, is a bisexual, professional bisexual, and she okay. says that bisexuality is not just attraction to men and women it is the attraction to people that are similar to yourself and different from yourself yes that is the buy like and like and not alike yeah because gender is not we can get into a gender discussion but gender i don't think gender Mm -hmm. is just male female and not i think that there's much more variety and color in there absolutely absolutely everything is a spectrum gender is a spectrum sexuality is a spectrum well gender is a social construct sexuality is a spectrum and so yeah there's so much more of like we want to make everything so like a or b black or white like this or that and not like all of the things it's all of the things everything is all of the things Mm-hmm. Um, yeah yeah um, um i actually think i have heard of her before i think lee has told me about her um did she write a book uh, about it recently like within the past like five years maybe probably 
much. Okay. Well, yeah. I, for one, need to know immediately how I become a professional bisexual. Well, I have all of her information now on my phone and I will get it to you. That is my life goal now. <laughs> Officially. Right. Yeah. I, I'm on it. I would like, I'm getting, ugh, I need new business cards. I need everything about this professional bisexual. I'm, 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 I'm doing it. I'm taking it. Great. Our, my... That's our next meeting. Yep. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm here. <laughs> so um, you said the play's done, which is thrilling. So what are the next steps? What are you doing next? Like, yeah, are you pitching well, it? I've pitched it to a couple places. Uh, I don't want to name them because they haven't sure. picked it yet. They don't get the right. publicity till they pick it. Um, <laughs> absolutely absolutely but um <laughs> jinx i would love i would love for it to just get a wide life you know like i don't want it to yeah. just be confined to like just one production on broadway that happens yeah. for however long it happens mm-hmm. as much as i would love it for it to be on broadway i would love also for it to be seen widely and affect more people yeah um and i, I would love for there to be like to start a public conversation about that you know, there's a huge percentage of the American population alone that has bipolar disorder that just never talks about it because they're afraid. Right. And there's there's a huge population. Well, there's such a the, stigma yeah. to, to mental illness in general. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's terrible. Like why mm-hmm. sickness of any other kind we would we would treat and care for. And even though people are starting to think about it more with like depression and anxiety, like bipolar still has that stigma that hasn't really seemed to go away as much. Like people seem to still think of it because it's less understood. And so something like this is really helpful to get that information out there and be like, this is, this is what the life looks like. And this is how you can grow from it. Like, you know, this is 10 years ago, but you know, today still life still goes on. It's just something you deal with yeah i can actually read a section from the play that i think is really funny in my opinion if you'll okay if you'll great oblige me of course Absolutely. it is when jack first gets to the hospital and they say um really pretty quickly the the doctor walks in and the first words out of their mouth is we think you have bipolar disorder and jack says what and the nurse says, <laughs> given your symptoms and inability to sleep, it is very likely. And the other nurse says, we need you to sign these forms for treatment. You could even pick a color. Okay. And so Jack picks up a crayon and signs their full name. And then goes into this rapid monologue. I, I don't know how fast I can read it, but I'm going to try. You know, this makes more sense because sometimes I think of my hands differently, left from right. My right hand is more powerful. My, well, my left hand is more of like a support hand. Same way with my feet too, because my left foot just kind of lies there most of the time. But it's most comfortable for me to lay like this with my leg up. It reminds me of the time I was sleeping over at my friend's Effie's house. You probably know about this. We were talking about how the different sleep positions mean different things about different people's personalities. Like if you're lying curled up in the fetal position, it means that you're strong on the inside, but not on the outside. But if you're lying with both your legs straight out, it means you're strong on the outside, but not to be strong on the inside. But if you sleep on your stomach, that is really bad. But I sleep like this. With my right leg up and my left leg down. It's so yes. like that stream of consciousness kind of stuff that people think about and then they don't even put that much like they think about in in passing rather than like actually taking the time to really think about it. Or word vomit. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Which I love to do. I but. find it therapeutic. 
because I find if I just it get it out of my head, it's not there anymore, and I can move on. Because it usually doesn't matter when I get into one of those word vomity spaces. So I always apologize I if I'm in the rehearsal room to the actor for this monologue because it's just like it says in parentheses rapid ad lib. Just please, just get it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's just like who knows how long I was talking about like left from right right from left because that's what i thought mm -hmm. bipolar disorder was honestly at the time mm. yeah i thought it was that's like so a split personality disorder or something yeah. i think and i think a lot of people think that because people don't talk about it and people don't discuss it and it's not it's not taught to people so they just decide what it is and that's not how it works when people have such a big misunderstanding of anything that doesn't directly you know if they haven't come into direct contact with it they're like completely unaware of of its effects and and, and things because they just haven't had to deal with it before so right. yeah it's one of the things that's really powerful is that it's so informative for people like this this play and I think that that's what we got in our talk back one year ago was like somebody saying that that it's like we don't ever see stories like this where things are told like for real in such an authentic way that but also that really teach people about something that most people don't know anything about have you seen any other responses like that when you've when you've had it performed in other places i think every time someone comes up and he's like you know like my dad has bipolar disorder it's it's been a rough time or like i have bipolar disorder i can't believe this is i've seen a story about myself yeah. you know like I had someone actually leave during the middle of the play and I, I walked out and I was like, hey, what's going on? Because I, I wasn't on stage, of course. I was just like in the back yeah. lurking. And I think that a show like this, you know, you need some, you might need to have some mental health professionals on it. <laughs> because yeah. for yeah. people without mental illness, it causes anxiety. And for people without, without mental illness, it's really probably one of the first times they've seen themselves presented as not just a crazy person. Right. I was just going to say, you never see things from, from that perspective. You know, it's always from the, uh, the other people's perspectives of like somebody with a disability, it's their parents and their friends and their things and not from the, the person who is dealing with the issue or situation. Yeah. And I, I think it's such a great note that you said, like, it'd be good to have like, you know, mental health staff on you know available and we both just saw how to dance in ohio and it's a play about autism i don't know if you've heard of it or seen anything about it but you started seeing like they have these quiet spaces and they have these like places that if you you know if it's too um there's like a sensory overload or if you need to like take a step back you can go sit in these like boxes for lack of a better word they're much more formal than that but um yeah. and you can like sit there and you know take a minute and it's meant to be that way like people with autism can also be in these shows and yeah. feel like they have a space and come and go and when, when needed and so I think I think that else is an important note that like doing a show like this it is important to have you know mental health counselors on on premises as well because people are going to have those kind of reactions yeah and that's why there's an intermission and a 90 minute play <laughs> because yeah, you know yeah. the, the full-blown episode happens it all spirals out of control Jack is taken to the hospital and it stops so that the audience mm -hmm. could be like, what just happened? I mean, let's yeah. talk about this with the person next to me, with the person I don't know, 
with with the bartender when you're good yeah. <laughs> bartenders um yeah absolutely yeah yeah it gives it gives people time to process which i think is good it's interesting because you know when we first got this i had quite a few people read it because when i read it i saw it so clearly um right away and I had a couple of different people read it who, and, you know, I read a lot of plays and even I had people who also read a lot of plays. Um, but it's sort of, it's one of those things that so much happens at the same time that you really, really have to be visualizing it. You can't just read it, you know, mm-hmm. um, because otherwise you're not going to get all of the things. And I definitely had some people who were like, I don't understand it. I don't get it. And it's like, uh, even one of the one of the ones who came and did the reading with us, his first reaction was that he didn't understand. And then I asked him afterwards, after we did the reading and and read through it, and and were able to like listen to listen to it come through and and have everything put together. And he was like, "Oh no, I un- I understand it now. It makes so much more sense now that I'm you know actually seeing it and hearing it um, sort of happen. Because when you're just reading each thing on its own." Uh, sometimes you don't understand the whole concept of, you know, all of the things overlapping on top of one another that you would. And like, I feel like this would be good in even just like a sort of audio book kind of form, just to like be able to hear all of those pieces. Although I think that the visual of it adds so much to it too, obviously, but um, there's just so much in all of the language and in the details, in the writing that you have in there. Um, that just make it so uh, unique and so moving um, and and th- that really bring the story along. So yeah, it's just, it's powerful. Yeah, and it's, uh, I think the second act is meant to be cathartic, I guess. It's supposed to feel yeah. like the, the whole manic part happened and it, it was scary and it was wild. And, you know, it's not told, it's not told from the perspective of someone outside the episode. And then we, we see the narrator as a as a outside perspective guiding the, the story um and i think that that really helps people re-engage with the play especially and i think it's so important after an intermission that like you yeah. re-engage with your audience you know and somehow and uh bring bring them back in yeah absolutely yeah and while i i have feelings about the 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 first act like like how like how we scored it the first time. Like there was like a whole music soundtrack to the thing that it, cause I'm a sound person. So of course there is. Um, and my friend Luke McLaughlin created some beautiful music for it. And I think the music that he created for the second act is just a solo cello, but like hmm. the amount of sound you can get out of a cello and like, it kind of evokes this feeling of like, almost like misery sometimes, not because you're hearing misery, but because like, it's just so sad and somber sounding sometimes there's a clip of um my my friend mike Grittani shredding on the on the cello like he's almost breaking his bow going so fast up the notes up the notes up the notes as the confrontation happens in the hospital between the nurses and jack and the police and, and then all this you get all this quiet that's, and that's i think powerful yeah i love strings i love when they're added to anything so i'm excited to hear it. i love a cello we've talked about We've talked about music before too and how, how emotive it is. So yeah, I think it could only benefit, you know. You've obviously done a lot on this play. And was this the first play that you've written or are there other ones that you've like developed? 
I wrote a 10 minute play called The Easy Button. And it was about someone Ooh. finding a Staples Easy Button. And it was hilarious. This is a total departure from something like that. Yeah, sounds like I've, it. <laughs> I've been, uh, it was a farce. And this is a little more serious at times. Yeah. But I think that what really prepared me was my writing classes in high school. Like I had a really good, write, a couple really good writing teachers. And I also had the support of my friends and family who were willing to read a play in progress that like maybe wasn't totally ready to be seen by anybody, but was willing. I was, I think the, the biggest thing I learned reading this play was to be not be precious about it. And to be able to kill your darlings, I guess, is the phrase. And that's what they um, say. And it's it's so true because the first time I did the production, I was I was married to the words and the artifact that like if if you change a single word of, of the artifact, it's like sacrilegious. But you know, like I, yeah. I took out the F word from the play because I I wanna I want this to appeal to the audience of that yeah. like, you know, bipolar disorder starts at the age of thirteen. <laughs> Mm -hmm. could start as early yeah. as then yeah. and I want like a 13 year old to be able to come into the show and not have any restrictions so mm -hmm. there was that content that I edited out like there's no sexual scenes there's no there's no f-bombs there's no nothing that couldn't be pg-13 is what I'm trying to say yeah right. and I do that intentionally because I, I I I know who I want my audience to be and I want that to be the people the people and their families that need to see this it, because it could right. like like i said it could maybe change their life if they if they're able to catch something like, like this early yeah and everyone knows someone with bipolar whether you realize it or not like it's very widespread so yeah so are you and you said you're working on stuff now with your husband are you all writing like plays and stuff or we're writing a musical oh uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a, a huge tap musical i won't tell you who the tap dancer is i'm writing about because i don't want anyone to steal this idea before i can write it all right excellent i, I love a tap really musical and a tap for because it's about a tapper not because it's just time for a tap number yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. there will be a couple of those but you know that sounds incredible <laughs> yeah that's really fun um, i would stay here for hours if you'd have me but i i realized that <laughs> might have a finite number of questions for me absolutely and we are coming to the end of those questions so do you have anything else you want people to know about you about turn that thing around that you want to promote this is sure. your space do whatever you want with yeah that. tell people where to find you also yeah, that so um i um Aaron Harris Woodstein. Uh, my my website is ahwdesign.com. It links to my socials. It links to uh, Phoenix Rising Productions, which is the parent idea behind a lot of my plays. Um, because I think that um, after the scary incident, I I kind of not roused like a phoenix or something, but like I <laughs> I'm a different person than when yeah. I started um but the same roots and the same experiences that i lived on that on there there's a shop there's also so you could you could get a version of the play I, I have the arc up there which is the version that we did with unseen artists a year ago if you want the current yes. version it is currently available on 
new play exchange under Aaron Harris Woodstein. It is a featured play on there. I also have my musical, The Fires of Nero, if anyone wants to do something about uh, rape, incest, and bloodlust. Um, Absolutely, that's, that's I you. do. <laughs> we'll talk. That is so for me. Yeah, so The Fires of Nero is right there if you want it. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to have further conversations if people would like to. Uh, I do check my uh, message requests on Facebook uh, to see if any anyone crawled in there and wanted to slip into my DMs, I guess. <laughs> wanted to chat. Um, yeah, I just wanted to chat. Can but, we tag um, you on? Uh, can we tag you on Facebook? Sure. Yeah. Can we post about uh, the episode tag me and on stuff? Facebook. Okay. I, my Instagram is a woodstein a w o o d s t e. Um. Yeah, I, I'm just so thankful to be on, on here again and be with you all a year later. Um, it was Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Yeah, happy anniversary! And uh, hopefully uh, next year there'll be a lot more progress with where this play has gone and where it's going. I, um, I know we can't wait to awesome. see where it goes because it's it's going places. I can I can see it and we love it yeah. and we, we love you and we love having you here and so... You know, I'm sure there'll be more things that come up that we stay in touch about. But on that note, again, thank you for being here. And now Noelle is going to tell you where you can find Unseen Artists. Oh, yeah. You can always find us on the website, unseenartists.org, where we can get you a print copy of the version that we did a year ago signed by Aaron so if you're interested in one of those let us know I uh will double check that that is on there but you should be able to find that on our website or shoot us an email if uh I suck and uh you can always email us at info at unseenartists.org we're always there um and then social media you can always find us on social media that's probably the easiest place other than email to get a hold of us we're bad at it but we're working on it um, so just find us at unseen artist org, just singular artist because Twitter is lame. And uh yeah, then you can hit us up, you can see what we're doing. We post, you know, a couple days late usually because it's me um about what we're talking about on the podcast. Uh and you can find us anywhere that podcasts are. Um, and yeah, hit us up. We love feedback and thoughts and feelings because we have so many thoughts we and too. Feelings. I have big feelings too, um, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we like you. Um, Exactly. (laughs) That cello bit from Aaron, it will be attached here at the end for you to listen after we close out. On that note, I'm Courtney. And I'm Noelle. I'm Aaron. And this is Aaron. Yes, you did it. And we are Unseen Artists. Bye-bye. Bye.